I've got Rossi Stone with us here because Rossi's uh, dyslexic, 26 years old, been through the whole high school journey and isn't a parent yet, but can give some insights into what it's like to be dyslexic, go through that whole journey, come out through it and start flourishing and finding your path. So Absolutely. that's what we're here to tell you about. So, hi Rossi, thanks for coming. Um, thanks for having me, it's great to be here. And if anyone hears any scratching, it's just me drawing while Darius talks and doing a bit of doodling at the moment. Well, we find that as dyslexic sometimes. Sometimes we concentrate better when we're drawing or doing oh, something like that. Whenever I was in university, I would always be doodling because uh, that would actually ironically help me concentrate a bit more by switching off that part of my brain that was trying too hard. Yeah. Um, so it would certainly improve the concentration process. Yeah. So you're going to do one, and we're filming the drawing that Rossi's doing at the moment. And the reason why Rossi's drawing as well is Rossi has a comic book company called Deco Comics, and that's his thing. So we're going to talk more about that later on as well. So you'll be able to see his drawings at the same time and they might have some relevance to what we're saying who knows mm -hmm. this podcast is sponsored by dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com which helps you organize yourself creatively with a productivity system for apple devices what we're going to do is talk about the big story of your life, try and get a sort of pattern of your life so far, mm -hmm. and then we'll go deeper into dyslexia, what dyslexia has meant for you in that journey, like how it's influenced you, your learning moments, um, etc. And then maybe look at some of the tools that you use. Absolutely. So let's kick it off. We've got Four main questions I'm going to ask you. Uh, what was the beginning? What awoke up your potential? What was the challenge that really you chose to pick up and run with? And what was the reward you got at the end of facing that challenge? Okay. So, so first one, the beginning of your story. Where would you start the beginning of your story? Is it um, of dyslexia? Yeah. Uh, I think for me it was, I, I'd start the beginning probably back when I was in preschool like nursery oh, yeah. um, but not because of anything I was doing at school because the fact that I was more interested with playing with my knife and fork than with the friends I invited over I would get bored of my friends sometimes and just go to playing imagination games by myself with my toys or with any object I could find and um, that I had no realization of what that might have been but just something like that just sort of made me feel like my mind worked in a slightly different way. Why was no one else into this? Um, and why was I seeing, why were people gawking at the fact that I played with my knife and fork when I was eating and actually pretended that they were characters chasing each other? You know, the fork was always running away and the knife was always trying to catch it like Tom and Jerry. So there were, even back then there was a story element. But I was, I always found it strange why no, everyone found that so weird, why people didn't think that was uh, an equally fun thing to do. Um, and that's when I also, it was my first experience of people not just not relating to that thing I enjoyed, but actually finding not something wrong with it, but something to be a little bit embarrassed or about, or, you know, something that was, that, that was weird and singled you out. So that was my first experience of that as well. But I didn't care too much back then because you're a child and, you know, you don't care about anything really, I, 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 at least I found. So yeah. Um, and when it started to really kick in into something problematic was more 
when my first year of primary school. Little instances in nursery, but in primary school, when from day one, I couldn't understand what was going on, what I was supposed to be doing. I was following instructions wrongly. Uh, when uh, we were learning to draw the number one in primary school, uh, I, I remember the teacher was using an illustration to say, number one is like a sergeant major, you know, straight back, um, stands up straight with a little hat at the top. Now, everyone else followed their instru that, those instructions and wrote the number one. I didn't know what she meant, so I thought to myself, um, the most relevant thing in my mind um, to do with Sergeant Major was actually a little show I watched called The Shoe People and I started trying to draw that character thinking that's what she meant by Sergeant Major um, rather than the one and then I was confused and surprised why everyone else was drawing something completely different mm -hmm. so from day one I was doing things incorrectly so to speak and interpreting things differently so yeah it's been it's kind of manifested itself in different ways there, um, you know, different points in my life, but both through, I'd say, yeah, the early time was my, when I discovered my preferences, and this time was when I discovered the problem in primary one. What moments did you experience through your childhood and teenage years where you felt like your potential was woken up? Uh, who was it, and when did it happen? I think it was, there's been various instances in my life where different people have been helpful in a certain circumstance and such, but I think one of the most notable was probably my teacher in primary six and primary seven, uh, Mr. McGilvery, and he was someone who treated, he, he was loved by all the class and all the school, you know, everyone who'd ever been with him loved him. He was a sort of well-seasoned um, teacher who had had a big, long, interesting life experience, and he just treated his pupils um, you know, seriously. He took them seriously. He he joked around with them. He didn't think they were too soft or that. Um, you know, he did, he was never cruel. Um, but he, but he, he had he, he wouldn't mind like making a joke out of your expense in a very fun, innocent way. Um, and he was also he paid particular attention to people. If someone was struggling, he didn't just see them as a problem or a number in the class. He'd sit down and try and find a solution. He'd see each pupil as a project. Um, and. He was someone who, for the first time, he said, because I was so used to school reports by this stage, telling me that um, Rossi's not doing well, and he's putting stupid answers in his uh, tests and all that stuff. I mean, like, no wonder I didn't like school, right? <laughs> but the, he was the first teacher who said, and these were his words, um, I really, really, really like working with that boy, Rossi. That's what I heard from my parents for the first time. And that was so uplifting to hear a teacher actually wanted to be in a class with me. I wasn't a problem, I wasn't an obstacle. Mm. Um, and it was actually the first male teacher I ever got. Um, I had some lovely um, lady teachers in the primary school I'd been to before that, but all of them seemed to um, value order in the class more than actual progression of the pupils. And Mr. McGilvery actually and asked if he could have me for another year just to help with progressing me through school and he just I just felt looked after I felt like he believed in me I felt it gave me some confidence that I didn't realize I was lacking at the time so yeah Miss McGilvery was probably that wake-up moment that there was something more to me than just a, a dumb pupil or, or, or some or a problem at school. Who woke up your potential and when? I think it was probably Mr McGilvery and yeah. um, in his own way I mean there was other 
little feed, feed up moments, but a lot, a lot of these things, like the comics and stuff, that eventually, you know, so to speak, saved me. Um, a lot of that came from self-realizations, but I think the confidence for those self-realizations came from what Mr. McGilvery started all that while back. And then, yes, there were some other teachers that, you know, didn't see me as stupid when I was in secondary school and encouraged me and helped me, and that was always great. But Mr. McGilvery probably woke me up. Mr. McGilvery probably said that, made me feel that you can be happy at school, you can enjoy your time at school, um, and you can be valued as a pupil. Mm. And it's that that made me think that, and he liked my drawings, he liked the way I thought, and that's probably what woke up that there's something different about me, but it's okay, there's nothing wrong about that sort of, sort of thing. Um, you know, I can, I can tell you the moment that woke up my potential, and it was probably, it was probably that comics bit way over in secondary school or high tell school. Tell us about that, yeah. Um, that moment was probably, that came from just years of um, doing badly at school. And when you get to secondary school, you start to get called stupid for it by the pupils. Um, and it becomes, you know, an unwelcoming environment to be dyslexic. Um, and I found that I, I didn't like... Um, exam revision was a very traumatic experience for me. I found that when I was trying, when I was re reading even harder to read and absorb those lines, uh, it didn't go in. Um, and and, and, and it, it was even harder to go in. And trying to remember, I was trying all the things, including like mind maps and stuff, nothing seemed to be working for me. Um, and I still get fairly poor grades as a result. So in my How old were you um, at that point? By that point, I was probably 16. 16. And then 17 was when I went to my hires. And that's when I got on ex my higher exams. I just thought, I'm not going to put myself through all that again just to do badly. Okay. And that's actually, there, if there's one other teacher who helped release that potential, it was Mr. Gilchrist, who I, who's my art teacher in secondary school. And he was someone who saw my art and said, this is great, do more of this, this is, this is brilliant. That helped me realize that um, I can not only be good at my art, but I can embrace it and make it, use it to overcome struggles and stuff. It, it was probably through the confidence that Mr. Gilchrist helped give me, um, along with what Mr. McGilvery had put, given me years before in primary school that when I was in my higher exams, I just thought, well, I, I'm not good at this. What I've tried isn't working. I've got one more exam before I can focus on my art, my art which I feel confident about, my art that I love. So I might as well enjoy it this time. I might as well enjoy this exam revision rather than putting myself through the trauma because I could bring myself to tears with, with the getting the exam revision wrong and really struggling to get it in there and working into the night all to not remember the information still and getting bad results and all that stuff. So I just thought I'm not going to put myself through that again. If I'm going to fail anyway, I might as well enjoy it. I'm going to turn my exam revision, this page of notes, into a comic and see what happens. Because I'd always loved reading comics and making comics with my art. And I felt a real good connection to comics and they were easy to understand in my mind. So I thought, what's the worst that can happen? And I turned a page of my Modern Studies, Modern Studies was the exam, I paid a, turned a page of that into a comic strip with characters bantering the information back and forth. 
and I found that they were fun to make but even more fun to read like I was absorbing the information this time through a story mm -hmm. it was like remembering what happened in an episode of The Simpsons it just felt natural and I was understanding it this time through pictures and narrative and uh, it, it focused on you could only put too so many words per panel before the words became over dominating so it forced me to be concise and uh, the characters were entertaining, I, I put effort into them, and all this was great fun. It felt like I was learning for the first first time, like the information was actually going in without effort. And it made me think, is this what other pupils have been feeling all this time? Mm. Is this how it's been for the natural readers in the class and the natural mathematicians and all that stuff? And I just felt, I don't care if I'm going to fail again. You know, this way actually makes sense to me. I still thought I was going to fail, but I didn't care. I found a way to make in my exam revision, exam revision, genuinely fun. And I'd found that it was feeling like I was remembering it, even though I was too young to realize what that meant. So if we go on to the third question, which was what was the challenge mm -hmm. you faced? Mm -hmm. I suppose you could call this your challenge. Yes. Which was to go through your hires, mm -hmm. your final year at school, mm -hmm. and make it fun absolutely and make it something that was you yeah exactly and so you basically set yourself the challenge to start and um, turning your modern studies higher into a comic mm -hmm. was it just that one exam um it was probably yes well actually yes the modern studies exam was the only one i actually made comic strips out of okay but i tried this approach this new approach of how can i make this more visual how can i make this into something that i more naturally do i mean this was a big step of confidence for me as well yeah. doing things my own way yeah so um i applied other little things like for example a big problem for me was remembering quotes for english exams like macbeth quotes or quotes from my drama written exam uh, and uh, I found actually that singing the quotes to some of my favorite songs, which I loved listening to, like Dire Straits, I was reading to at the time. Um, I'm not of my generation. My first album I bought was Dire Straits. Really? Yeah. <laughs> this is a dyslexic thing again. <laughs> um, but yeah, I. Singing it through songs like that, and also I think Enya, I was listening to Enya at the time and sort of sung a few songs to her as well, but it was weird, but it worked. And that made things so much easier to remember. And I'm absolutely positive that helped me get a B in English, mm -hmm. which is not an A, but it's still a high grade for that's, my that's standards. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. Absolutely. Just like absolutely. I got a C. Did you? And that was a trial. <laughs> I, did. I got six hires in one sitting. Really? I got four A's, a B, and a C. And um, two years before that, I was in the bottom set of everything, getting D's on everything. Were you really? Two years before that, except for maths. How, how, I know it's, it's supposed to be my interview, but how, how did that happen for you? How, how did you? Well, it, for me, it was the geography teacher. Really? So the geography teacher pulled me up, uh, told me, Darius, up you come at the end of the class. And he said, I think you're smart. I said, really? He said, yeah, I do. I think you're smart. And I don't understand why in the bottom set. And he said, look, let me explain to you how exams work. And I said, okay. And he says, I tell you something, mm -hmm. and then you say it back to me the week later or two weeks later when it's the test. Mm -hmm. That's it. Do you get that? I'm like, really? 
is that all that I'm meant to do? Am I not meant to understand it? He said, I think that's your problem. You're trying to understand everything. Everything too much. Yes. Just tell me what I told you, and, and that shows me that you're listening, you're paying attention, and I'll give you a B. And if you connect it with something else that I've told you, I'll give you an A. Wow. I said, is it as simple as that? And he says, yes, it is. <laughs> and he said, and by the way, you need to learn how to study. And I said, well, how do I do that? And he said, you need to go and get this book called Use Your Head by Tony Buza. Read it, and it'll teach you how to study. Well, I went home, and I told mum, oh, I've got to get this book called Use Your Head by Tony Buzan. It sounds amazing. And she said, I've been telling you that for three months. <laughs> I said, no, you haven't, mum. She says, yes, Darius, I've been telling you that for months, and you've not been listening to me. And it's only when the teacher said it to me that I paid attention. Isn't that funny yeah. how sometimes your parents can say the same thing yeah. over and over again, and it's just... A, a moment that a teacher wakes up a certain potential it's mm -hmm. like a it's like a match that ignites you just at the right time well Absolutely. when I learned that I thought it just felt like a game to me yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like a puzzle yeah you know is, is that all it is mm -hmm. seriously someone had just stopped and explained the rules of the game mm -hmm. and said play the game mm -hmm. I'm like okay I'll play the game I start to play the game and it was kind, kind of fun after a while, start getting B's, C's, mm -hmm. start going up the sets within a year, and then I was kept doing six hires in one sitting, which is very unusual. Normally, it's five max. Did that boost your confidence? It did. I thought, oh, this is quite good. I was totally um, gaming the system mm -hmm. because I read so slowly, I studied so slowly mm -hmm. that in the end, you know how you only get have to answer three questions. Mm -hmm but it's out of like nine topics. Absolutely. Yeah, and so you study maybe six topics really in depth so your three questions come out of it. Mm -hmm. Well, I would study three questions and hope for the, the results would come out. It's, well, I studied it's four. It's problem solving, isn't it? But what I did was I went through all the past papers and because I was good at maths, mm -hmm. I worked out all the probabilities of certain questions coming up and narrowed down the field that I had to study, and that's how I got my... I, I could easily have got um, three Bs and Ds if the wrong questions came up, but it was a total gamble, and I, I won the gamble, and then I went to got, get a law degree at Edinburgh University. You got a law degree? I mean, for me, anything's impressive for a dyslexic kid to go and take on law. It's like... Well, I didn't know I was dyslexic. I just thought, oh. I don't know. I, I carried on playing that game until third year when I crashed and burned. Oh, really? Did you just push yourself too hard? Well, no, that's when the games... That, that's when the, all the tricks and the, the... You know, doing the statistics on the previous past papers and all that, sort of hoping the right question comes up, hit, hit the brick wall. You can't play those games anymore. You've got to actually know your subject. Right, so then it was, is that when the mind maps really started to come into play? That's when I learned how to mind map. Mm. I just love it. Do you see how, like... You must get this with a lot of dyslexic people, but you see how the stories sort of resonate with each other, mm. like both our experiences. Well, that's what one of my hopes is that parents who are listening to this podcast mm. start to see the patterns, yes. and they start to see their teenager somewhere within our stories. Do you think so much of it is confidence? Like, my big issue with the school system is just how one-minded it is about learning things in one particular way and how it puts other people down for not slotting into that order, for not slotting into that 
way of thinking and I think it knocks a lot of confidence of what you're capable of or why you're going to this thing. You're basically going into a system to feel stupid and get things wrong a lot of the time. Yeah. And a lot of the time it's a teacher who picks you up and says you're smart and you can do this. Um, that's why I think your mind maps and my comics are exciting because it's just like doing it for fun or doing it because it's easy and then they get that I can do this moment themselves. Well, uh, there, there was uh, a very well-known dyslexia assessor here in Scotland. She explained to me, these are the three magic words, maybe not three, your way of working forwards, your way of working. You need to find your way of working. And it's actually in the law. Really? Way of working. That is the disability law in Scotland. It, it, way of working is part of it. You have to um, accommodate that person's way of working. Seriously? Yeah, and that's why dyslexics get accommodations. Mm -hmm. They say, my way of working is by speaking out loud. Mm -hmm. So they get someone who is a listener and a scribe. Absolutely. Because that is the way of working that matches their way of thinking. Yes. And so way of working is key. Now, there's a default way of working, which is to write things down uh, in long form, in notes and so on. But there's also, your way of working is in comics, and my way of working is mind mapping. But, but, but there's but, other ways of working. But it's the thing, like, it, like I was saying to you earlier, it wasn't just with comics that this manifested itself. Um, music, yeah. like doing it through music, and writing post-its, or drawing rather, drawing post-its around the house. One quote I was to remember, I actually did through pictures as well for Macbeth, and I had to remember a Macbeth quote that was, full of scorpions is my mind wife. And so uh, I, I drew a picture of a man with a bulging head full of scorpions with them coming out of his ears and stuff like that. Uh -huh. And that's still drawing, but it's not a comic. It's just yeah. using visuals yeah. in a different way. Yeah. Um, and just sometimes just using color or sometimes treating it like a puzzle, like a word yeah. search. Yeah. You know, it's like we both know that it's not a one set way. There's so many great ways of learning out there. And the celebration of all these diverse ways of thinking out there is embracing them. Yeah. and finding what other ways there could be to learn out there. That's what I truly believe. So we were talking about your challenge mm -hmm. was doing your modern studies with a comic. Tell us a little bit more in depth about that. Did you do the whole thing as a comic? Or how did you do your modern studies? Well, it was still an experiment in a way when I was doing it because in the background I was still doing certain bits of it the normal way. Okay. But as I did this comic more and more, the less I wanted to do that. So I, I basically ended up taking segments of what I needed to learn and turning those segments into a comic story each. Okay. And making characters and, and little storylines out of them all and stuff. And each one was no longer, well, actually, no, that's not true. So some of them were four pages, some of them were two pages, etc. But it was all based on making them as fun as possible. And it wasn't for the whole thing, but it was for a few important segments of it. And I remember clearly it was those segments that were the ones that were easiest to remember. Mm. The other ones, I was running it back in my mind. I was thinking, I still, there's still not full confidence that this was the way to do it, even when I was in the exam. I was confident that I knew what I knew, but there's still not full confidence that I'd done an acceptable thing. And it wasn't until those results came through where I realized I went in knowing that, feeling that that was a better way for me, 
and the way that everyone else had been telling me to do it was still not working and my way worked mm. my way brought in results so this challenge this modern studies exam it was a challenge to me partly because it was overcoming an obstacle of you can't do this and you're not supposed to do it that way and it was partly a challenge of an old enemy exam revision you know um, being a traumatic experience that used to sort of validate mm. how incapable I was sort of thing but um, the exam monster yes <laughs> I call it yeah. it's kind of like sometimes I think the exam monster you don't slay that monster no you tame it absolutely and it seems like you found a way to tame that mm. with your imagination totally well, like, with you and your problem-solving, um, for me it just seemed like I was taming it through what I loved. And little did I know that part of me loving what I love is because it's easy to access and easy to understand. Mm. And that's what excites me about it so much. To me, it's just like I'm turning it into something I enjoy more, but looking into it, I, you know, I wouldn't enjoy it so much if it was so difficult to do, if it was so frustrating to do. Yeah. And that's why just reading from a block of text was so frustrating because I'd have to break into the text, I'd have to get good at the reading or get into a good reading rhythm in order to get to the juiciness of the story inside. I'm a much better reader now and practice does make perfect but I got into reading in the end through reading more comics, more story-based computer games and then from there into easier books and I'm still, I, I don't think I'm a perfect reader, I still think I struggle but I um, but I can read novels for fun now. Yeah. And I, I, when do you think that kind of happened for you? That you felt like I actually enjoy reading now, or reading, but you you became that confident and pleasurable with reading. Probably, and I think a lot of people can relate to this, dyslexia or not. And probably during my university years. Right. Because once you're out of school, there's so much freedom in university. You're all history, science, maths gradually become interesting again because you're out of the system that you associated them with negativity and being forced to learn mm. and you start to come at them in your own way and so you start to read for fun and, and read for pleasure now I do think you have to be of a certain reading level in order to let your reading grow like that because I think there's some people who struggle so badly with reading that they just avoid it at all costs yeah so you you went through this challenge you got your hire did you get an A? Uh, oh, oh, from from my higher modern studies. Modern studies. Oh, I got an A. Brilliant. And then your other subjects, how did it compare to the uh, others? English? I applied it too. I got a B. Okay. Uh, I was expected to get a C. Yeah. Uh, and in history, I applied this too, and I got a B again. History was another shaky subject, getting C's and D's. Lots of writing. So yeah, yeah essentially. I mean, you chose some pretty tough subjects: modern yeah. studies, history, and English. And are all modern essays. studies was a big mistake. <laughs> I thought it was all going to be like news and like news round constantly and stuff. Yeah. Um, but it was a lot of reading. Um, but I took drama and art as well. You know mm -hmm. the ironic thing? No. Here are my grades. A in modern studies, B in English, B in history, A in drama, because I had a practical exam, C in art. C in art! <laughs> <laughs> because I had to do a crafts project that year and it didn't work out too well. But projects. Dyslexics and projects. <laughs> yeah. Organisation of a project. Exactly. You got to see an art, but then that turn takes us to the next part of the story because you overcame, you, you took on a challenge there and you came out with a reward and part of that reward was this ability to tame this monster of exams or a challenge like that. And you went to art school, didn't you? I did indeed. 
You got a C in art. You went to art school. Because <laughs> <laughs> with art school, you just need a certain amount of grades. Doesn't matter what grades they are. You just need a certain level of grades to pass. Um, and I, all they really care about, at least certainly with the art school I applied for, was portfolio. Um, and my portfolio was good enough to get in, so I was lucky there. Um, yeah. So you got in on the portfolio. Brilliant. Yeah. That was. I, I wanted to go to art school. Did you really? I did. I, I wanted to do philosophy, psychology or art. Mm-hmm. But I didn't think I was good enough at art. Mm-hmm. Although I got an A. Check <laughs> um, <laughs> you out. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I saw the others in the class and they were just amazing at art and I just mm. didn't have the confidence. Mm. Um, and confidence. And then uh, I, because I got... In a way, getting good grades sometimes can be a bit of a curse mm-hmm. because you end up thinking, I need to do something worth, you know, worthwhile. And I don't know if worthwhile is, but you, if you've got that many grades, mm-hmm. you either do law, accountancy, or medicine mm-hmm. in my world. I was in a private school and my mum had said, you know, you've done all this, you need to make best use of it, you know, the best use of it. What was it? I don't want to be a doctor like my dad. I don't want to be an accountant, I did Mm -hmm. consider it, or an actuary. I thought, well, law gives me flexibility. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, the reward. You went to art school. Yes. And now you're doing comics. You've got a comic book, you're doing deco comics. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. Well, that story that I was telling you about my exam, uh, results that never really left me. That was always in the back of my mind uh, that I could use this to help people at a younger stage in their life. You know, if I'd have l- known this technique earlier, uh-huh. it could have saved me from so much grief, so much self-esteem issues. I could have looked forward to coming into school and to being educated. I could have seen myself becoming a scientist or a mathematician rather than thinking art was the only thing I could do uh-huh. or drama. So. Um, that was always in the back of my mind. So I did art school, and I was never knew that I wanted to do deco comics for the rest of my life. At that stage, what um, did you do at art school? Uh, animation was what I focused on. Like um, film animation. Uh, yeah, uh, cartoon animation. Cartoon animation. Cartoon. Okay, got you. So um, I was. What art school did you go to? Dundee, Duncan of Jordanston. Okay. Um, and it was and it was great. You know, it was a great experience. Lots of learning in many ways. I think I feel felt I learned more about life and about myself than about animation <laughs> while I was there. But by that I just mean that there's a lot of self-development going on um, and questioning my assumptions and stuff. So you finished art school, how old were you then? When I finished art school, 2014, uh, I would have been about 23. So four years ago, finished art school, yes. and then when did Deco Comics start growing as an idea? Deco Comics started I think actually after first year of university I knew I wanted to continue this and when it, in terms of forming it into the thing that I would eventually become, I took a year out of university, sorry, I, so I took a year out after university um, okay. in 2015 where I was a part-time art teacher for foundation students and I was an artist in residence and I was finishing an animated film. Um, and but I was but that can you see that animated film somewhere? Yeah, you can, YouTube. You can look it up. Type in Rossi Stone, my name, and uh, Dominic is the name of the film. It's okay. about a cartoon 
um, character who's learning how to be an animator in a real life world. Okay. There's certain relatable bits, <laughs> feeling out, it's like com- uncomfortable in your skin and stuff. All, a lot of that stuff comes into it. But um, uh, yeah, so I was finishing that film that year, but I was developing this. It'd been stewing in my mind for four years, and I started to, ve- to develop it into what it could actually become in that year, in my spare time. So in the hero's journey of a story, there's always a beginning, mm-hmm. there's always someone waking up potential, mm-hmm. and then there's always a, a reluctant challenge, mm-hmm. and then sometimes the hero overcomes that challenge, sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. And if they do overcome it, they often come back with a reward mm-hmm. back home, mm-hmm. and they give that reward. So it sounds to me like we're at the kind of story of trying to br- bring a reward back to your origin at school in a way i think deco comics and everything that's come through that very much has been that reward or a simulation of that award like that just the whole the fact that i found something that combined what i love i love to entertain i love to draw i love to tell stories with something that was very meaningful to me at school my mm. whole journey and identity of myself at school and where a lot of my confidences and lack of confidences came from. And the fact that I get to combine those two and mm-hmm. make it into something that I can give to other people to enjoy and benefit from, um, that is my reward. It's, it's, it sums up me having confidence for myself. I could have never dreamt that I could have started my own business and be pushing it forward and talking on, po- on a podcast with yourself. You know, like that, that to me, years ago, is something I wouldn't have had the confidence for. Yeah. Um, and it sums up that I can find a solution to things and overcome things. I feel like I've grown as a warrior, so to speak, um, and sort of treasures that is getting to do what I love, yes. um, but having the willpower and motivation to do so. So let's finish up this segment with um, explaining to the parents who are listening, mm-hmm. what Deco Comics actually does. Because, I mean, we've just assumed people would know, but, you know, these are educational comics. Can you describe them in a minute? Of course. Um, Deco Comics are, they turn the school curriculum into fun, entertaining comic stories. They are most relevant to ages 9 to 12, based on the area of curriculum we cover, but they're... In Scotland. In, 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 well, actually, we've kept it quite broad, so that's relevant for Scotland, England, Ireland, even if you're in America, um, a lot of the subjects will be relevant. It's like algebra, figures okay. of speech, right. stuff like that. So um, I'd say, broadly speaking, 8 to 14, or specifically 9 to 12, but older and younger have enjoyed too. And essentially what they are is they, they turn it into a comic first before education. Mm-hmm. That's communicating the information through the entertainment of the comic. Yeah. And thus making it a much more enjoyable experience and easier to retain the information that way because they'll think they'll have a picture and a point of story to remember all by and they'll naturally want to look at this and read this. Now, the impression I got was it's kind of like the Beano days. (laughs) So every week I'd get the Beano Mm -hmm. and it'd come on a certain day Mm -hmm. and I couldn't wait till it came and it would come and I'd look forward to reading it at, at the end of school. Mm-hmm. Um, is it the same sort of thing or did the school buy it? Do, do you get it as a kid at home or does the school get it and how does that work? Well, the, you, you can subscribe and that means you get uh, a new comic every month. 
because um, we make them monthly. Posted to you. Posted something. right to your door. The old school way. Absolutely. Oh, and cool. lovely paperback comics. We use quality paper. You will smell it before you read it. That, yeah. Uh, and it is. And and, and yeah. The, if you want to catch up, and then we do catch up sets for the comics that you've missed and all that stuff. And it's not chronological. It's not. Um, you don't have to read issue one to follow issue two. It's like the Beano. Different stories. None of them link into each other. You can read any comic in any They're order. They're all standalone. Exactly. Okay. But they've got characters that carry on like the Beano. Oh, yes. Yeah, because do. I've seen some of the characters. Quite interesting. Did anyone stick out in particular? Well, uh, I was at a dyslexia conference, and one of the ladies there was saying that she... She actually did a comic strip, and there were four characters that described different aspects of dyslexia. Oh, in my comic. In your comic. Was that? that I don't think I've touched on dyslexia in my... Oh, yes. Yes, sorry. Um, we also do commissions where we work with other companies making their and other organizations and making their messages into comic strips. Oh, that's what she was about. <laughs> But uh, yes, we made a comic that was... Uh, that made each learning difficulty, each of the main five learning difficulties, into character. uh, characters. Got you. That's so, who it was. I thought that was in your comics as well. Right. Well, let's move on to the next phase. Where, of course. How? We're 41 minutes. Should I keep my answer shorter? Oh, you're doing great. It's fine. We'll edit. Dyslexia. Um, let's talk about dyslexia itself. Mm -hmm. Okay, I've got four questions I want to ask you that will be relevant to parents listening. Of course. Number one, where can you trace the influences of dyslexia in your life? Mm -hmm. You know, just, just following patterns. Number two, your learning moments. Number three, mind mapping. Did you ever try it? And number four, what advice would you give your teenage self or yourself as a parent in mm -hmm. the future? So let's go through those. Mm -hmm. Tracing dyslexia, the, the main influences of dyslexia in your life, because it's a broad area. Mm -hmm. Where where can you see the dyslexic kind of things happening in your life? What are some symptoms, not symptoms, um, traits? Um, looking at words and getting to the end of a sentence and realizing I've read that, I've understood the words, but the meaning hasn't gone in. Mm. I haven't absorbed the information of that sentence or of that paragraph. Um, though I'm a lot better now, I'll still get instances, and I got them a lot more growing up, of staring at a page for 40 to 45 minutes and still nothing going in. So it's, it just it can take me ages just to read two pages of a book, and it's mm -hmm. so frustrating by the end of it. Mm -hmm. I just want to get into that story and can't, so there's a lot of frustration with that. Um, hearing, not understanding a question that someone gives and misunderstanding it, asking a question and they think, why would you ask a question like that? You know, mis misinterpreting or misunderstanding questions or thinking about the wrong th end of the stick that someone's trying to tell me about, you know, okay. that, that will still happen. Um, hearing actually is a problem, not, nothing wrong with my actual hearing, but again, interpretation. Um, sometimes people will say words to me and I've heard the words, but I haven't put them together yet. Um, I'll ask them to repeat themselves, or sometimes a terrible habit I have is, um, like with my mum, <laughs> is uh, she'll say something and then I'll pretend like I've heard what she said and try and wing an answer, because uh, she she's a, you know, I absolutely love my mum to bits, uh, but she, you know, she's she's sometimes got a short fuse, 
um, when it comes to these things. She's got a very busy life, and so I don't want to keep having to ask her to say what, what all the time, you know. Okay. Again, I'm a lot better at that now, um, but I'd still, I still get, I got a lot growing up, and I still get a bit jumbled when I hear things. Okay, brilliant. Thanks for sharing that. I'm sure a few parents will probably relate to that with their young ones. The reason why I'm asking about learning moments, there is, you know, sometimes there's maybe certain courses you've been on or certain books you've read or people that have been influencers, teachers or whatever, you know, that you've really learned a lot. They were a moment of intense learning or opening you up. I know you show, talked about the, those people waking up your potential, mm -hmm. those teachers, but I'm thinking other moments where you really learned something solidly. Mm -hmm. So, um, sorry, could you repeat that in the, could, could you repeat that question? Okay, so I'm thinking learning moments. Let's talk about learning moments where you might have done a, a course. Oh, so, so, or moments where I sort of realized I've learned that, that's gone in. Sort of or, or a time where um, a way, um, how am I going to describe this better? There are times in our life where we read a book Mm -hmm. or we hear, uh, watch a film, or hear a story, or do a course, or learn from someone, and that's a really profound moment mm -hmm. where you really learn something significant in your life. What would they be? Where would you... I see, I see, yes. Um, I would say... Off the top of my head. One of the things I'd be interested in, did you have a dyslexia assessment done? I did. That would be was a that a learning moment for you? Yeah, that was a moment where I realized when I heard those words, similar to the teacher experiences, when I had those words told to me that your intelligence is above average, that was a moment. That was a moment again where I realized it's not stupidity. It's not being dumb. Yeah. Um, and that was a moment where I can realize capability. It didn't make the work any easier, but yeah. it still gave me that bit of hope and confidence in myself. Mm -hmm. How old were you? Uh, I'd be about 11 or 12. Okay. Um, Lucky you. Yeah, exactly. I was thirty-five. Really? Yeah. So many. Some people go through their whole lives not realizing. I was thirty-five. But the fact you know now, and you've absolutely made the most of it, and you made the most of it, absolute credit to you before you even knew. Yeah. I had a great mum as well who really encouraged me. So, other learning moments. Other learning moments would be. I. Well, of course, the comics one. Discovering yeah. I could do the comics would be a big learning moment. Um, other ones could be any significant ones at uni. Was uni a, any yeah any courses in university or a particular? There was a moment at university where I think this is just part of growing up largely, but where I realised there was a moment where I realised cartoons were were really my thing. I still was flirting with the idea of becoming a painter in my first year of university. And I was struggling and just everyone's work was better than me and I was trying to get better than them and didn't understand why my drawings were never as good. Um, but then I did an animation just for fun with a friend for a Christmas project and everyone flocked to it. Um, everyone was impressed. It was the reaction I'd been looking for from my paintings and that just made me click that I, I'm an animator or I'm a cartoon man or this makes sense to a lot of the things I like. You know, whenever I played with toys or knives and forks growing up, I was always thinking of how do they move, how do they react, what would their face look like and stuff like that. So learning that was very important to my development, learning, discovering 
and realizing that part of myself really was lived and breathed cartoons. Um, and other moments where, yeah, there was a sort of moment in growing up where in probably in about second year where my confidence exploded, and um, probably a bit too much so, but there was a sort of real two-way learning moment there. There was a lot of learning because my confidence exploded. I realized I could do things. I felt like I could do anything. I felt like I could be someone who could change the world and all that stuff. But then I also realized I learned to bring that back. I learned that when you let that go too far, you know, it's not that everyone thinks you're great, you just turn your mind off to what people might actually be thinking about you, and not all of that you should ignore. So sometimes um, listening to other people is a very good thing. And th there was a moment where I learned how to, be, how to be confident and how to not be too arrogant, if that makes sense. Learning how to balance my confidence was a big thing uh -huh. in uni. Um, so that was very interesting because yes, all school was gaining confidence, but I actually learned to balance and measure it in about my second, third year of uni. So it's kind of like learning a little bit of humility. Mm -hmm. You know, I think sometimes as dyslexics, we can feel like we need to be so self-reliant, mm -hmm. so able to do everything. Absolutely. That, you know, when you're going through school, because it's harder and you don't realize it than everyone else, you have to work so much harder, mm -hmm. you have to do so many workarounds and adapt and learn stuff, mm -hmm. whereas other people are kind of like, well, there's a system set up to make it work for me, I just float along, you know, and, and go with yeah. it, you know? Absolutely. And so you, you, you carry that on, I think, into later life. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the downsides is you can become fiercely over-independent. Absolutely. Have you found that? You, before the podcast switched on, Darius has been dropping gems all day. It's just that these wisdoms really resonate with me. It's uh, yes, yes, it does, um, and that is actually, I think, a big reason why I failed my fourth year film. You know that that dominant thing. It got finished later, uh -huh. but I started it in fourth year and it didn't get finished, and I failed um, the project. Um, and part of that was because. I had a lot of people helping me, but they were helping me with, with just like the sort of surface stuff, all the main stuff, um, and everything to do, everything important to do with the comic, uh, sorry, with the animation I was relying on myself to do and thinking, no, I should be able to do this, I should be able to do anything. And the project absolutely crashed and burned. But I was, throughout those later years, I was thinking, like, how do I, I have to be able to do everything, I can't not be able to do something yeah and the Dominic scenario really helped me learn that it is so good to work with a team you need to be able to delegate you need to be able to share your load it's good to be independent but you can't burn the candle out at both ends uh, or you'll destroy yourself so that whole I, I was even sort of thinking like if I had my own studio one day how could I run it in a way in which I could do everything myself yeah it got that bad yeah but, um, I feel I'm in a much healthier balance now, and it was through getting my fingers burned and um, by trying. Yeah. Well, I think I'm only beginning to learn that now, really. <laughs> um, I think when I learned I was dyslexic 10 years ago, I started to pay more attention to other dyslexics. Mm -hmm. And a common theme with some of the famous dyslexics like Branson and so on mm -hmm. is that 
they constantly talk about delegating. Mm -hmm. They're great delegators. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, I'm dyslexic. I'm not a great delegator. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you get so, you're so dyslexic, you're compelled to delegate. And I, I have a theory, and the theory is that if you're so dyslexic like Jackie Stewart, who can't read, mm -hmm. well, a very minor amount of reading, he mm -hmm. says, he has to delegate it to someone else to read his contracts and so on. He Absolutely. has to get someone to do something else and so on until he's the one socially joining and networking and have, maintaining the big picture and the vision and so on. Absolutely. So in a way, I sometimes think if you're extremely dyslexic, it can be more of an advantage because you're compelled to delegate. Whereas if you're mild to moderately dyslexic, I'd say I'm moderately dyslexic, mm -hmm. um, then you, you're kind of, you're not so good at it, but you could just about do a bit of everything. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. yeah. It, it can be worse for you because you just say, oh, I'll just try harder. Yeah. Instead of, I can't do this. Exactly. So <laughs> when you're in the sort of situation where I can't, you feel forced and compelled to get the people to fill out those areas for you. Yes. Where, yes, as you say, you're more like wider spread and, and diluted with your dyslexia. You don't have that urgency. You don't have that wall. And... Um, hitting moment where you realize yeah. you've got to you've got you, you've kind of got to learn that in your own way don't you yeah you've got to experience it and learning moments okay so that was a, those were some moments and one of them is a humbling moment as well and i think that with students often if you're a parent uh, listening i think one of the biggest things for exams and teenagers is to come to a moment where you're willing to be humble mm -hmm. humble enough to learn yes this assumption that, oh, I should be able to do everything, I should be able to study, I should be able to do this, mm -hmm. somehow seems to be a, a trait of, just a byproduct of dyslexia because mm -hmm. we're constantly being told by teachers, you should be able to do this, mm -hmm. you know? You just told me that story, you should be able to just write it down on a couple of pages. Mm -hmm. why, why, do you, why does it all fall apart after the second paragraph? Mm -hmm. You're like, well, you start thinking, well, I should be able to do everything, but yeah. I can't, you know? And mm -hmm. it has an effect. Absolutely. It's, it's as you were saying earlier, like, you've, you've got to... You get into a stage where you're sort of, like, having to find solutions to your own problems all the time, and you don't want to feel... I think you get to a stage where you become quite proud of that, yes. but also it makes you quite defensive in your own yeah. way as well. Like, you, you need to protect yourself. You can't let that... I think, I think you... Personally, I think you might fear a weakness. You might have a weakness there. You're afraid of being insecure again. You're afraid uh, of being put in a state of where you don't have control over what you're capable of and where the world can criticize you again sort of thing. Yes. I think there's a, a there's, for me, there's a sort of determination to not be vulnerable like that again. Yes. So there's vulnerable and there's weak, mm -hmm. you know, and if you, if you are vulnerable about yourself, then it might expose a weakness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if a weakness is exposed, then that's a problem. Mm -hmm. well, and then you think about the experiences you had growing up. Yeah. And, uh, the, you think about failure. Like maybe, certainly for me growing up, failure was a very ugly term yeah. um, that I associated with. You think about, um, you, you know, you, you link it to the, all the things you've got wrong in your yeah. life. Um, and you tell a negative story about it in your head. So. And so you're const I think what you can get yourself into is constantly trying to kind of crisis manage mm -hmm. you know constantly trying to make sure that the right impression is being given that you know that you're succeeding in some sort of way and, and failure is um, 
a problem. But I think humility comes... I think I remember someone saying humility is being honest with who you are. Mm-hmm. And even if you're good at something, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean, oh, I'm, not, I'm rubbish at art or I'm rubbish at doing cartoons. No, it's not. I'm pretty decent at doing cartoons, mm-hmm. but I'm really poor at not so good at painting. You know, that, that's kind of humility, isn't it? Because you, you know what level you're at at this and you know what your level at, at that and that's it. it just, yes, it's, it's, it's just attaching yourself to your reality, to your awareness of what you're capable of and what maybe you're not capable of that. And that doesn't mean you can't get better at that. Yes. It's just accepting where you are with it. Yeah. If I could recommend anything to parents out there, I would say learning and connecting with self-awareness does really help. Because for for me it really did. It, learning to be self-aware, how to catch your emotions from going haywire, following the stories that your mind tells yourself, and getting out of that mindset of believing your mind when it says you can't do this or you have to do that, and letting it just tell it as it is, tell it as the facts are. I am good at this, or I'm not good at this yet, or I'm not as good as I could be, but that doesn't mean I can't. Mm-hmm. Um, that self-awareness, however you come about it, I found really valuable. All right, mind mapping. Yes. Tell us, what was your mind mapping experience like? Um, is I wish I had you in my life at the time, Darius, because I was mind mapping never worked out for me, and um, it was preferable to bullet points, and um, it was more fun certainly, but mine became a mind mess. A mind mess. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> a, you know, like it was a uh, the the, the bra- I put too many branches or. Uh, the branches would have too many words, um, and the you know I, I wasn't confident with that the words I was using to link the information were useful enough, and I just never I don't think I'd ever been taught properly. I've been given the Tony Bazan overview, but I don't think I'd ever been taught how to make them as effective as possible. So how did you learn about it at school? Yeah, school had videos about Tony Bazan's oh, work. So yeah, yeah they, they they introduced you to them, and and we had PSE classes where they encouraged it. But um, yeah, it just never, it, it never got to the point where it was actually helping me. It just became like another way to get things wrong again. Okay. And my favorite part was the color and the imagery part of it. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, so my maps weren't my cup of tea. How old were you when you did that? Oh, it must have been about, uh, I think on and off, it was between the age of 14 and 16, 17. Okay. How many videos did you watch? Oh, I don't know. I think I must have watched, I think in terms of ones I could remember that were to do with the mind map thing, it must have been about three. Okay. Because mind maps is Tony Buzan's trademark, mm-hmm. the word mind maps for his courses that mm-hmm. he does. Um, I don't blame Tony. No. Mm-hmm. I mean, and uh, I think I've been trying, I've been trying to explain mind mapping to people for 30 years, mm-hmm. 25 years since I learnt it. Mm-hmm. But I think it's kind of like telling someone how a bike works yeah. and expecting them to be able to cycle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, I, I t- I'll explain it to my friends and they go, yeah, these are the five principles, or Tony Buzan has ten, I, I talk about five. Um, and they're like, oh yeah, yeah. But they get on the bike and they pedal and they fall over and they think, oh, cycling's not for me. <laughs> I, it didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Because if they tried it once or twice or whatever, you know? And they've got a failure experience with it. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so they just write it off. And uh, it, it really saddens me that people have this sort of 
abortive experience and mm-hmm. abortive is that the right word? It, it, it makes sense to me where, where they've got this, the experience where they feel they need to abort it because they tried it, they gave it its full chance, it didn't work out. Therefore, they're saying becomes mind maps don't work for me. Yeah, yeah. I say that for personal experience. I've been saying mind maps don't work for me when I shouldn't really be saying. I never quite figured out how to do it right. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I reckon. So what do you think about mind mapping now that you've seen some well, of my yeah, videos? Exactly. <laughs> I highly recommend Darius um, and Mind Map Studio because I, you know, you you make you turn it into sense. You have a great way of telling how they work through a story, multiple stories actually, multiple visual metaphors. But um, the way that you link it to the fact that it's just. I get it in concept that a mind map is about sewing all the information together in different ways, but the way you treat it like, because my mind works in stories, my mind works in stories, you tell it like a story and you make it, you make each branch of the mind map like a story, this is the subject and this is what the story's about. So like thinking of it that way was something I never did at school. For me it was just, this is the main fact. What are the mini facts that attach to it that I've got to remember? Oh, okay. And there's nothing really interesting about that. That it may as well still be a bullet point list at the yeah. end of the day, you know. But something that I, I, I guess I'm not describing it right because again, I'm still not a mind map expert. But um, that's the feeling I get through yours is that each line is carefully planned or carefully realized. Each each line has a real defined purpose, and it's clear why it's linked to that main word. Yes. Um, so your experience was very much at the spider map stage mm-hmm. where it's like a brainstorm and it's yes. all over the place. And, yes. it's, and it's not gone through the next iteration where things are rearranged and organized. and Exactly. Yeah. It, it never got successfully refined yeah. in my mind so map. You got stuck in the brainstorm stage. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so many people do. Mm-hmm. They learn how to mind map their ideas. Mm-hmm. But just like our brains, they're a complete mess mm-hmm. until you intentionally decide, right, that's going to go there, this is going to go there. Exactly. And you basically ended up using comics, mm-hmm. the discipline of comics, to bring in the discipline of let's concentrate on key words and key meanings Absolutely. and stitch them together in a timeline. Absolutely. And that's the thing. Comics got me to that same result. Um, so you, you're getting to the same result through comics yeah. that I did through mapping. Well, but this is it, yeah. But but I, I, would, I can't recommend your mind maps enough because yours sometimes it's not so easy just to come up with a comic story and and start writing things out in a comic format yes Um, and sometimes you can even do that in a boring way where where it's still not that motivating to you but something like a mind map where it's basically writing the information out in the most effective way possible yeah um you know i do still wish I had that, that I could just get that out. Because I, I, I don't go to meetings and make comics out of all my notes. No. That takes a bit of time. Oh, it's it an, it's an, it's an art. Investment, that, you yeah. know, but, but this is a tool. This mind maps is a quick, efficient yeah. tool that if you know how to use it right, it can, I yeah. no doubt, it can just roll off the hands. So let's move on to the next thing, advice. What If you could go back in time and give some advice to your teenage self, mm-hmm. say, let's say you could speak to Rossi, when you were 12 or 13? I would say to him, you're not stupid. You, and the things that you like doing, focus on them. Focus on what you like doing and what makes you, you, and what you wish you could do all the time on the weekend. Focus on that stuff 
and doing the things that you have a negative experience towards or don't like through that. You know, I feel I grew up in my younger years being a, a typical insecure teenager thinking, you know, like I'm, I don't feel very attractive, I don't feel very good looking, the girls aren't going to like me and all that stuff. And I, I feel and realize I felt back then at my most attractive when I'm doing what I love. Mm-hmm. When I'm in, in, you know, when I'm engrossed in what I love. So I'd, you know, I think if I would tell myself to focus on that stuff and doing everything through what you love because that's going to um, not just benefit your schoolwork and those sort of challenges, but it will treat you won't need to feel so insecure to try and suck up to bullies or you won't need to um, get all wound up about your brother teasing you and all that stuff. You can find ways of. I don't know, I just think being connected to what you love gives you confidence, gives you self-acceptance and so solutions. Being, let's say you're more specific to yourself when you're 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. You knew, you know what you were like at 12 and 13. Would you give any specific advice to yourself when you're 12 and 13? Yes. Which would be like, I don't know, draw that particular comic, do this particular thing that you're thinking or what? Yeah, it, draw, draw that comic, do that idea, think about that... Um, story that you've got in your mind and play that computer game and you know and try doing that with your homework see what you can do uh-huh. and also I would you know if, if I did have a son or a daughter I would say don't beat yourself up over this or rather than telling them to as you're story. jumping to the next question <laughs> okay so let's go to the next question <laughs> ask the question <laughs> what advice would you give yourself as a parent so you're going into the future, you're not a parent yet, are you? No, I'm not. No? Yeah. So you're going into the future and you've got a teenager, what advice are you going to give yourself? Well, I would... On the record, I'll replay this to you. <laughs> this is going to come back and bite me. Ten years time. <laughs> Five years time. I would be patient with that, with that child and try to understand them. Um, try to do things, rather than trying to fit them into a particular mould, because that's how it's done, try and understand why they're struggling with that mould, and finding out a way that maybe, rather than trying to fit the child in the mould of what you're trying to fit them into, basically, rather than trying to make the child what you think they should be, um, maybe take it from the child's perspective first, maybe like... I guess I'm not explaining this well. Rather than looking at it with reality is this way, how can I make the child fit into this? Why not take it from an angle of my child is this way, how can I make reality work for this child? Mm. And putting the child first because that's how the child will thrive. Whereas I tried as a child growing up trying to do it the normal way and it just led to more frustration and a lot of unhappiness. And my salvation was doing it through what I loved and what I found easy. Mm. So that's the advice I would give. Tools for dyslexia. Oh, what kind of tools do you use for dyslexia? Let's talk about gadgets. Um, <laughs> Darius gave a very funny reaction when he looked at the time. <laughs> um, what tools do I use for dyslexia and gadgets and stuff? I used to use a little recording device for lectures, um, which worked in theory, but I never, I just ended up not listening to them because they were so boring, it was just listening to the lecture again. Um, so tools I use, I suppose doodling while I listen, that's okay. a tool in the way. Right. Um, but there are sort of tools that 
I never ended up using because they came out past my time, but things like things that read back audio to you slower and easier, and those are easy, those were better. Um, I'm read back audio to you? You mean read back text to you? Yes, exactly. Sorry, oh, that's okay. what I mean. Yeah, things that read back text to you. Uh, I approve of that. Um, I'm totally behind Barrington Stokes' approach of making spacing out the words even more and making that easier to read. You know, I think that's that's useful. Um, and do I use any other tools? I suppose using music, using music to help me remember things and keep me on track and things. Sometimes if I've got a particular task I need to concentrate on, music not only helps me concentrate on it, depending on what kind of music, but it also t keeps me. It manages my time. I've got to get this amount done by the end of this song. Oh, so, really? Yeah. Right. So again, it's using what that kind of music do you play then for um, what things? Can, well, if it's if it's something that I need energy for, I'll listen to some big stomping rock tune. Like or, what? Um, well, it might be uh, Rush, um, like Spirit of the Radio, uh, or it might be um, Kiss, Crazy Night. Um, but if it's something more that requires more patience and thinking, I'll listen to maybe something like classical music. Um, and so you use the time frame of a certain playlist or a certain song absolutely. to complete certain things. Yeah. So it's like the Pomero technique. Where have you heard of the Pomero technique? Yeah. So the Pomero technique is when you give yourself twenty-five minutes to complete a set task and get and have another five-minute break. Mm -hmm. So you you chunk things up into Pomeros. Mm -hmm. You know, by the end of this twenty-five minutes, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And so you're kind of putting on a playlist for a set period of time and listening, and by the end of that, you know, you need to be done. Absolutely. And because you know the music, you kind of know roughly where you are in the timeline. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the when I was doing animation, I try and time myself to frames, like getting animation frames finished by. And yeah, when I got to know the music enough, I would actually know exactly where I was in the music, sort of thing. But generally, no, it's more of a sort of thing where when I start to, yes, actually, when I start to realize that this is the end part of the music, that, then I'll, um, I'll sort of know what to finish up or what details to finish off. But uh, I've taken to listening to a lot of looped music, like looped soundtracks and stuff that go on for about 10 minutes. Okay. Because um, those are quite useful timing things while they can play pretty generically in the background. Okay. Um, and, and yeah, they, they nice tip. Them. Thank you very much for that. Uh, any apps? Do you, what kind of apps do you have on your phone that you use a lot um, to organize yourself or things? I might need to look at my apps in order to yeah, remind yeah. me of that. Um, in fact, wait, actually, no, it's okay. Um, why not? I don't think I use any particular app to help me with my dyslexia. Um, okay. That's the thing. Uh, I use, if I know, hold on, I will look at my apps. Well, I'm not talking about just dyslexia, but, you know, or your life in general, you know, organ. Dyslexia often, um, I've seen you uh, use the voice, voice to text. Right. Yes. You've done a number of them. Yes, sorry, yes. Um, that's totally right. Actually, in that case, yes, I use my photographs, my photos on my phone to take photos of certain notes to remind me of them because I find it difficult to remember. Yeah. And um, like I've rented a car to get here and I had to take a photo of the license plate because I couldn't trust myself to remember it off the top of my head. Okay. Um, and other things like, yes, instead of texting, texting would take me so long. Um, so now I actually use the voice recording app to actually speak into the voice app. It, it picks up your voice and predicts the text based on, based on the words you're saying. Yeah. Um, 
and that's much faster and much easier for me and yeah. speaking it rather than typing it. I use the same. Do you? Yeah. You have to be careful, don't you, with some of the typos. <laughs> <laughs> Siri's terrible, but if you yeah. click the actual um, voice-to-text thing within mm. Apple, it's amazing how yeah. accurate it can be. Oh, yeah. totally. Totally, totally. And, and it recognizes even when you say comma and semicolon, so... New paragraph. New paragraph, exactly. Yeah. So it's, uh, I do highly recommend that. That's, yeah. uh, and then just make sure you check your text message after. Yeah. Any final things you want to kind of say let, let to, to the listeners, you know, parents and who are listening, maybe even other teachers, mm -hmm. you know, out there, what would you say, final thoughts? I just say, be patient. It's don't don't get too frustrated with someone when they're being difficult. Yes, kids will sometimes just be difficult um, on top of whatever difficulties they might be have be having, or they might lack motivation. Certainly, I was bad at maths, but it also meant I had no passion for maths at school at the time. So yes, I'm not saying kids don't muck around and kids can be disillusioned and stuff, but do be patient with them. Think of if they're causing a trouble in class or in the family or. Um, and homework and stuff, do look to why, why is that happening? Um, what can be done? If you could look at it yourself with, you, when you're teaching a lesson or you're doing your home, the kids' homework with them, if you can think of it as you give 50% to it and they give 50%, your 50% is to make it um, as engaging as you can and to give them the patience and to basically present that lesson and that information with them in as good a way as you can and um, without expecting anything back from them and then the other 50% is in their court and the part of them that wants to learn and wants to do better will work with you on that they will find a way they I, I think they if you just keep trying things and keep doing your end of it then yes you can't force them to be motivated but at least you're doing your part of it where it falls down is if you're doing it one way and you feel like entitled to or that you should you expect them to learn your way because you're trying to do your part of the lesson they should they should be making an effort sort of thing when you do it that way um i think that's when the problems begin um you, you, you know that's when the child has already knows that they can't do it that way and they're going to struggle so that was a big splurge. Basically, I'll say that. Um, Thanks, Rossi. Yeah, basically, I just want to say um, be patient with children out there. They're so capable. Just look to see what makes them tick and what they're struggling with. So, thank you for having me. Rossi, it's been great having you. Um, we're at our end. And how do people find out more about you? Where do they find information? They can find out more about me, you can Google uh, my name, Rossi Stone, R-O-S-S-I-E, Stone. Uh, or you can type in Deco Comics, D-E-K-K-O, Comics. Dot com um, or dot co dot Well, that's the thing, there's also the website. Oh. So um, I, I do recommend checking out our website to find out more about what we do. It is www.decocomics.com. Okay, brilliant, brilliant. Rossi, it's been great having this time with you and hearing your story in depth. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Darius. Thank well, you. I hope it's helped some of the parents out there understand their children's doodles. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can but hope, can you? <laughs> Great. See you later. See ya. This podcast is sponsored by dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com. It's my day job when I'm not hosting this podcast. Tell me, 
Do you know what you want to achieve in the workplace, but you're struggling with how to achieve it? Maybe you suspect some traits of dyslexia are getting in the way. Well, that's where dyslexia productivity coaching comes in because we give you a simple productivity system for your Apple devices that harnesses the creativity that comes with your dyslexia. It includes proven methods like note-taking, reminders, speech-to-text, mind-mapping, and more, all tailored to your needs. It'll free up your time and help you achieve outstanding results. Book a complimentary call to discuss it with me, and if you do it soon, I may also be available to coach you personally via Zoom. So don't be shy. Go to dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com or swipe up and book it now.